0: This morning our scripture is taken from Ephesians. I'm preaching from chapter 4, the first 16 verses. This is Paul saying, I therefore the prisoner in the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with Patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way. Into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Soon after my daughter Haley and Chris married, uh, they moved to Chicago, which started mine and Melissa's fervent prayers that they would move back from Chicago. We had no interest in being that far away from them and couldn't imagine our hundred pound daughter dealing with the winters that come off the Great Lakes. I just couldn't imagine There was nobody that they knew in Chicago except a few folks Chris worked with. No place to get grits on Saturday morning. I imagined them all alone in a foreign land, refugees or missionaries, I don't know which. But a neighbor in Chicago told them about the Atlanta bar. I didn't know these things existed, but but there was a bar in Chicago that catered to all things Atlanta. If in the right season, you could watch the Braves and the Falcons and the Hawks and Atlanta United. People greeted each other when they came in with the proper use of y'all. And I'm thinking they had grits on the menu. What a happy place, right? To go and see people like you. And so inevitably, when other people would come in to this happy place, this promised land, where the other exiles had gathered, folks would start asking,, well, "Where are you from?" Random strangers, you just ask, where, "Where is home for you?" Well, Norcross, Villa Rica. Something in the sound of Sugar Hill just made some of the fall of Chicago start to happen, right? Our our southerners felt like they had a place. There were other people in this foreign land who were somewhat like them. By the way, I have come to learn that there is a Chicago equivalent that's just south of here uh, on Peachtree Street. There is a bar right across the street from Piedmont Hospital called the Black Bear Tavern. I rode by it this week. And they've got a banner for the Cubs uh, and the hawks flying out front. It's a place for exiles from the Windy City who are in Atlanta to gather with people like them. I suppose there is a natural tendency for us to want to gather with people like us. The, the problem is... that. When we start digging a little deeper, when we move beyond the superficial, it unearths the fact that we might not be that much like each other. The guy who grew up in the bar, uh, grew up, who's in the bar, and he grew up from in Norcross, if you start asking him a bunch of questions, you might not find out he is not your best buddy. I mean, at first it looked like it, but then you start talking and getting closer and deeper, and the pimples of disagreement start popping up. Turns out he doesn't share my politics. He reads stuff I think is a waste of time. His ideas about parenting are Neanderthal, and soon you realize he's not one of you at all. And when this happens, there's several people who leave relationship just as soon as the veneer of nice starts to rub off. When relationship moves from the transactional to the personal, when we start seeing each other's flaws and differences, there's some people who just move on. They get to know their labors a little better and find out They don't like their neighbors that much and move on. They move churches just as soon as they find out that some of those other people who go to that church are hypocritical. Just move on. They move marriages as soon as they find out what she's really like. And the alternative, after all, is hard. The alternative is covenant and community. The alternative is when my flaws and your broken life keep bumping up against each other and still we keep forgiving each other, hugging each other, disappointing each other, and then forgiving each other again. It is hard work. And generally speaking, there are only two places we do it, family and church. And, and both are hard, aren't they? But it's also true that the most satisfying relationships we have are the ones that have weathered. The ones that have forged on season after season and found the beauty that lay underneath the blemishes. The relationships that love and disagree, spat and re-engage until life-giving bonds of trust start to be formed that can weather anything. But let's not kid each other. This is hard. It requires effort. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul acknowledges that there is effort involved in unity. Making every effort, he says, to maintain the unity of the Spirit In the bond of peace. This fourth chapter of Ephesians uh, is is actually a departure from the first three chapters. The first three chapters are just, uh, just glowing, beautiful theology expressed in the abstract. For by grace you have been saved by faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Those are the kind of things you hear in the first three chapters. And then there is this shift. It pivots. Therefore, while it's soaring with not even one foot on the ground, and then in chapter four, it just shifts. From this spiraling theology to the gritty, down to earth, practical application of what it looks like to be a Christian in this world. The shift is is triggered by the word therefore. Therefore, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the first three chapters, for grace you have been saved by faith. Chapter four, therefore for crying out loud, act like it. The Apostle Paul is honest about the effort. Unity takes work, but Paul begs us to try. And then he gives us a list of the scales he wants us to play. Humility. Which is really hard when I know I'm right. But we've got to try. Gentleness. Who in our culture values gentleness? I read a quote this week that said either you have a seat at the table or you're on the menu. Who wants to be gentle? Patience. I'm willing to be patient just as long as you're willing to change your ideas to mine soon. Bearing one another in love. What are you willing to bear for this community of Second Pots? Can you bear that the person sitting next to you in Sunday school doesn't vote like you, or love like you, or share your interpretation of Scripture, or whatever the difference is? Bearing is hard work. But Paul is begging us to lead a life worthy of the calling, acknowledging that it's going to be hard. But the call to love is not the call to feel warmly toward each other. It's an act of the will. The worthy calling is to practice the disciplines that form us into one body. That's the goal. One spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith. Paul uses the word seven times. Seven times Paul uses the word one as a way of getting our attention. This is the goal. And then Paul gives us this image. It's an image used other places in Scripture, but it fits so wonderfully here. An image of our persistent work together. Inviting us to see our otherness and our unity the same way we think about our bodies as one body made up of different parts, right? There's Glenn. He is one person. There's Susan. She is one person. There is Carl. He is one person. But Carl's one body is all different parts knit together thumb and ankle and teeth ears and elbow and pinky toe but when they all operate in their uniqueness in their difference that's when the one person comes alive each each part was designed to be different that's part of the plan So when one of us attacks another one of us for being different, it makes about as much sense as biting down hard on your thumb. The attack just hurts the whole body. Unity is not monochrome uniformity. It's not about marching together like a Korean army drill unit. Unity is not even found in agreement. Unity happens when we respect that other parts of the body are different. And we all serve the whole. We don't have to all agree. But when we attack each other. The whole body hurts. Unity takes work. It it does. And we're not there yet. Paul, Paul uses in this passage, Paul uses the word until, until, until all of us come to the unity of the faith. Like the lyric from the John Mayer song, I'm in repair. I'm not together, but I'm getting there. We aren't all there yet. But what would it look like? What what would it look like if we did the work Paul's begging us to do in this place? Our, Our world continues to herd in groups of likeness. Folks from Chicago at the Black Bear Tavern people of privilege in gated communities, social gospel liberals gathered in blue churches, while truth-seeking evangelicals gather in red churches, academics gathered in the ivory towers, while the underprivileged children gather in under-form, uh, underfunded schools, teenagers in the lunchroom all gathered by type, the jock table and the black table and the cool kids table what would it look like at 2nd Ponts if we did something different and, and did the work Paul is begging us to do what if we did commit ourselves to humility when we disagree or to being gentle when we confront. What if we took a couple of breaths and exercised patience with those who are not where we are? What if we committed to bear one another in love? No longer running to a place that's more like me, but digging in to do the hard work of covenant community where we bear with one another in love. Once we get beyond the facade and the transaction, beyond the the makeup and the mask, we will find a splendid and broken group of people to do life with right here. And it will be our people. But this time it will be our people because we have chosen to be committed to unity for the sake of Christ's church. It's not gonna be our people because they just happen to wear the same jersey. A few weeks ago, I was, I was getting dressed in the locker room, getting ready to come, uh, come to church, come to work. And, and one of my buddies, he's, he's lacing up his black dress shoes. And he's a semi-retired lawyer, and he usually doesn't get all dressed up like that. So I ask him, what, what's going on? Somebody needs some courtroom suing today? You getting all dressed up? What's that about? He said, no, I'm headed to Hawkinsville, Georgia, for a funeral. Then he started telling me about his friend, a fellow attorney. He said, I hated everything about Jimmy. He grew up in backwater Hawkinsville, made the horrible decision to attend Auburn instead of the University of Georgia for undergrad, he then went to Ole Miss for law school, which figures, because he was a white-collar redneck, to start with. In fact, his, back, his backwards politics never left the peanut farm he grew up on. And then that rube comes to Atlanta and joins a competing law firm. And he choked up and smiled at the same time. when he said, I hated everything about Jimmy. And now I'm going to South Georgia to bury one of the best friends I ever had in the world. Paul begs us to lead a life worth the calling. And there's a chance There's a chance that if we practice the hard work of community, showing and seeing, forgiving and blessing, gentleness and patience, bearing one another, there is a chance we will experience the true blessing of what it means to be loved. Not not because of who we are, in spite of who we are. We might find that our truest place of belonging is not in some superficial likeness, but in hard-won community, bound together in the oneness of Christ our Lord, who has called us to be one.